This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm Justin Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Welcome to our Arab Talk listeners and viewers from all over the world, from San Francisco to Palestine and beyond. We're bringing you Arab Talk from our shelter-in-place remote locations here again from Northern California. Jamal, we're entering the third month of the pandemic uh, quarantine effects, but we continue to produce Arab Talk shows and will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. We have reached a really um, horrific milestone, Jamal. In the United States, we have passed 100,000 deaths of American citizens who have died from the coronavirus, and 1.7 million Americans have been infected with the virus. And research just came out today suggesting that by the end of the summer, Jamal, there will be another, an additional 100,000 deaths from the corona pandemic here in the United States. In addition, this week we've had a total of 40 million Americans who in total have applied for unemployment benefits. And with all the statistics that we're talking about uh, here on Arab Talk, all of these numbers are underrepresented. So the total number of infections is well above 1.7 million. The total number of deaths is much higher than 100,000. And certainly the number of unemployed here in the United States is much greater than 40,000 people. And we're not at a point, Jamal, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit later, where the country is so divided and we've created such a crazy false narrative. It has now become patriotic to not wear a mask. It is now for become, some, for some, not everyone. Yeah, it's now become patriotic to deny science. It's mm-hmm. been it's for some. It's patriotic to somehow go outside, flaunt science, flaunt the pandemic, the virus, and to think that we're still in a hoax. The next couple of weeks will be very telling for this segment of the population, which is probably twenty-five to thirty-five percent of the population who still believes that the coronavirus is a hoax and does not exist. Where the other statistic, Jamal, which is really, you know, uh, groundbreaking, today probably there will be a worldwide, uh, we'll reach the 6 million people infected with the COVID virus sometime today or tomorrow in the world, and approximately 360,000 people have died worldwide. The United States is the number one place where people have died from uh, the COVID uh, uh, infection, Jamal. So things remain very grim, despite the fact that uh, 50 states have now cautiously, well, not everyone cautiously, but 50 states have reopened, some more cautiously than others. But there are still over 20 states, Jamal, where the rate of infection is still increasing, and in some cases, at a dramatic rate. So I'm afraid. Well, that we're going to keep we're going to keep talking about this, Jess. Obviously, every every show and keep and keep updating our uh, listeners and viewers on uh, on on Facebook Live. But I just want to go quickly, uh, you know, just to remind our uh, listeners, uh, we have a great show coming uh, today. We're going to have our guest, Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi. Um, you, you know, she'll be she was talking to us earlier, and then of course the. The terrible, terrible news of yet another murder and police brutality affecting another African American man, George Floyd. George Floyd. And we we will be talking about this. So uh, you know, earlier we had a, a discussion with Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi, the director of the Arab and Muslim Ethnicities and Diaspora Studies at San Francisco State University, Jess and. Um, you know, we started by congratulating her for receiving right. a major award by the American Association of University Professors, AAUP, right. uh, the uh, 2020 Georgina M. Smith Award, and you yourself as a professor. How significant is this award? Well, frankly, Jamal, this is one of the more preeminent awards that the AAUP gives uh, on a regular annual basis. It's an award given to the outstanding academic activists in the entire United States. It's a 
prestigious award. It's an award that conveys a lot of weight and a lot of gravitas, and it basically gives the award to the one professor, the one academic in the United States that embodies the spirit of uh, the academy, but also in the spirit of being an activist. And for me, and I know you feel the same way, there probably is no better person that we know and have worked with that deserves this award more than Professor Rabab Abdelhadi. That's right. And yet she, she, she was and still is under continuous uh, attack. And, and systematic attack by hate groups. So let's uh, uh, watch her interview. Joining us from her shelter in place, Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi, director of the Arab and Muslim Ethnicities and Diaspora Studies at San Francisco State University, Ahmed. Welcome again to Arab Talk, Dr. Abdelhadi. Thank you for having me, Jamal. It's really lovely to be back, even if we're sheltering in place. And for, happy Eid. Eid Mubarak. Eid Mubarak, yes, same to you. So first, let me begin by congratulating you for receiving this major award by the American Association of University Professors, AAUP, the 2020 Georgina M. Smith Award, which is a very prestigious award presented to a person who has provided exceptional leadership in the past year in improving the status of academic women or in advancing collective bargaining and through that work has improved the profession in general. The AAUP nomination letter uh, highlights your work, Dr. Uh, Abdelhadi, as a scholar activist who has built a robust international research project, a teaching Palestine, and as someone who continues advance to, to advance uh, critical learning at San Francisco State University, uh, with the with the Ahmed uh, program uh, that you actually created, tell us what does this award mean to you, to your students, and to the supporters of Ahmed. I think uh, I'm, first of all I'm really honored and I'm proud to have received this award. I also congratulate my co-recipients of the award, my colleagues, most of whom I know they received. Uh, there were multiple awards given this year by AAUP. But uh, um, the Georgina Smith Award uh, for actually activism for creating this program, uh, the AAUP actually spelled out that they are supportive of this award for building the Ahmed Studies Program and actually for teaching about justice in for Palestine, for scholarship, pedagogy, and for advocacy for justice in Palestine, internationally, and in the U.S. This is really important because it is a recognition by the major. Association of American University Professors of uh, the work that I have done. I don't, I, I am, I'm very honored, of course, personally, but I'm also, I want to say that this award is not just for me. This award is recognition of the work that day in and day out we do in the academy, we do in public space, we do in the movement, and people are fighting and struggling in Palestine and around the world for justice for everybody. So I really feel that this is really important. It's a vindication. It's a recognition of the work we've done at Ahmed Studies. As you know, Ahmed Studies is actually quite a successful program. Uh, despite the fact that it's quite anemic and doesn't have the resources, we do have the support of the community. We do have the support of uh, Ahmed, uh, friends of Ahmed, lecturers like yourself. We have the support of the students. We have the support of my uh, colleagues in the union, on the California Faculty Association. and people in various, uh, um, in various professions, in various associations, various movements for social justice for change. So I think this is validation. This is a validation that says what we have been doing actually is right. We are doing the right thing. And AAUP recognition of that is really, it's very, very important. I am very, very humbled by it. I'm very proud. I'm very honored. But it's also for all of us. Yeah, so you have been under constant attacks and we've we've spoken to you many times on on this uh, on this show from hate groups uh, such as amcha canary mission uh, david horowitz and and others and it seems that they are relentless do you feel vindicated beating them in court and yes. receiving the georgina m smith award 
Yes, I mean, first of all, we did defeat the Lawfare Project. The Lawfare Project filed this major federal lawsuit in June 2017 against me, against California State University and San Francisco State. I was the only uh, faculty member who's Arab, Muslim, uh, Palestinian. And they basically, the lawsuit, 77 pages, they claim that actually what we are doing at San Francisco State, what we are doing right, what we are building the Ahmed studies problem, we're teaching about uh, Palestine, Arab communities, Muslim communities, we are linking this question of justice for our communities to the question of justice for everybody. We are actually connecting the community with the university. We are implementing the spirit of 68 for which students in San Francisco State actually went on the longest student track in history and demanded decolonizing the curriculum, demanded that the university is a place where the community can also teach and learn, demanded that the different relationship. So we were implementing that. So they filed this lawsuit. It was a frivolous lawsuit, but was a very dangerous lawsuit. They hired, uh, they employed, actually, it wasn't even hired. It was pro bono. One of the mega international law firms in San Francisco uh, that had almost 1,000 lawyers. They had the support of all these Zionist uh, groups of the Israeli lobby, working with them and so on, very organized, uh, very well funded. They actually chose June which is when we go on, uh, on, on summer break, which is really difficult to mobilize students, it's difficult to mobilize faculty. You don't, I mean, I was really embarrassed to even ask my colleagues for help because it is a very bad time, but it's not, it's, it's okay, it's bad time for volunteers, but it's a very good time for people who get paid sitting on their desk and actually do whatever they didn't do on staff. And what we did is that we defeated them massively and decisively with the help of two lawyers, who came on and supported me pro bono and with a huge movement of everybody in our, and when I say in our communities, I'm talking about all the communities of justice that are part of the Ahmed uh, uh, community. And the judge actually ruled in his ruling, Judge, uh, uh, judge Oreck, who was a very respected federal judge, wrote in, one of, in, in, his, in his ruling saying that because she's anti-Zionist and support Palestinian resistance does not make her anti-Semitic. The lawsuit sought to equate between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, and the judge himself, this is not right. So we defeated them, and this was a huge victory for me, for us, for the movement, for San Francisco State, saving taxpayers 18 months of uh, legal, but then they don't stop the Zionist groups. And actually, some of the attacks, uh, they're framing it is that, why are you, for example, Amcha now is saying, why is it that uh, she is actually bringing activism to the academy? Other people, Zionist right-wing, it's a very Zionist right-wing um, agenda that has a problem with actually bringing the community with the university, with connecting us with each other, with actually uh, validating the lived experiences of our communities that historically have been erased and marginalized. So this is really, a, the, um, I really believe that this is a huge vindication. And of course, they haven't stopped. They continue so what so so what they lost i mean i mean this is i mean if we look at the scene here they've been attacking you for years they've lost they've taken you to court the lawfare project lost this uh, huge lawsuit yes. yeah. then you received this huge award as a vindication by your peers and we're mm -hmm. talking about by your by you know if, uh, very yeah. very uh, prestigious uh, academic organization and then now it looks like they're taking it into social media and into their own what as I say they're preaching the choir and whatever to their own choir basically uh, I've recently read a hit piece uh, uh, on you in the Jewish journal by someone who claims to be a reporter and I say mm -hmm. someone who claims to be a reporter because obviously that person acted as the the judge and the jury before even and the talking and the and before well. even talking to you it obviously was a hit piece it wasn't a journalistic piece okay. uh, to smear you and to i mean it's uh, it's all i think it's a, it's a lost cause for them because they're going after the fact questioning why the american association of university professors uh, gave you the award why did you receive this award and at the same time, they use Twitter accounts and whatever. And so that's what I'm saying. They're relentless. They're trying dif different venues. And by the way, they're also it. attacking AAUP. Now, uh, one of their main people, Judea Pearl, who's at uh, UCLA, who's very well known 
pro-Zionist, uh, uh, pro-Israeli right-wing uh, faculty member at UCLA actually is demanding that AAUP is taken, its nonprofit status is stripped from it by the IRS. The chorus, the Zionist chorus is demanding that the AUP rescind the award. They are actually, uh, I mean, this is what you said about this reporter. The reporter, uh, I think, got in touch with us and with the AUP and said, they want to comment. And then I check his already, he already posted and actually called the award disgusting. And, and the, I mean, it's really interesting because I think they think that we are not, we don't, we don't read, we do not know what's going on. So at the very least, pretend that you are neutral. If you wanted to interview me, if you wanted me to give you a comment, you've already judged me. And this is the same reporter that wrote that slanderous story in May 2013 about my lecture on Islamophobia at UCLA, where the whole fabrication, it's all fabricated and concocted because everybody can actually see my lecture online. My lecture is available online from beginning to end. And UCLA itself has done its own investigation and concluded there was nothing wrong. Uh, the multiple uh, community groups like CARE, like Palestine Legal, like Asian American Studies, uh, Buena Vista United Methodist Church, ADC, multiple organizations came together and said they also did their own investigation. They said there was nothing wrong. Actually, people were calling me and saying, how come you were so calm? How come you were, you were so uh, uh, reserved when, when the students have attacked you and drowned your voice and were very disrespectful to you. And I said, well, look, we are educators. As educators, we really have to put up when students get up and they, they cry or they express any kind of uh, their feelings and so on. We are supposed, we're the older people. We're supposed to be tolerant. Let them do whatever they have. And actually I did, I was very tolerant and I spoke to the student, but then they fabricated this whole story, <laughs> leading now to stand with us, a main Zionist group actually suing UCLA with the Department of Education filing complaint well, over my lecture and over the National Students for Justice in Palestine. Well, it seems that they think, as you said, either they think that we don't know the truth right. or they think that people have short-term memory. Yes. They quickly uh, have forgotten about a major bunch of articles, actually, first the, the, re the revelation in the foreword right, yes. uh, that the San Francisco Jewish Federation gave $100,000 to Canary Mission, the shadowy website that blacklists and intimidates students and professors who criticize uh, Israel. Then there was an extensive, extensive investigation into their tax returns, right? And, yes. then, and then from that, and that's why we come with facts. When you talk about, you talk about facts, not fiction. And then, and then all of a sudden, looking into the tax returns, then you find out that they have been funding a group like AMCHA, uh, the AMCHA Initiative, uh, the American Freedom Law Center, the American Freedom Defense Initiative, the David Horowitz Freedom Center, all these people, the work, the work of the Islamophobic Dutch politician Geert Wilders, uh, others include the Clarion Fund, the Center for Security Policy, Frank, Frank Gaffney's Center, Gaffney, yes. the Middle East Forum, Daniel Pipes, the Tea Party Patriots Foundation, and the, and the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, uh, Project Veritas, which the Federation gave $100,000 in 2016, yes. is responsible for falsifying sexual misconduct allegations against Roy Moore last, last year to the Washington Post. Uh, and AMCHA initiative has, re has received hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars from the San Francisco Federation and the Diller Foundation in recent years, uh, operates similarly to Canary Mission, you know, same kind of principles, uh, except that it primarily goes after faculty, not students. That's, that's the difference between the two. So there is a whole investigation done in the foreword. The Haaretz, uh, Israeli uh, leftist newspaper, uh, wrote about this. Uh, um, 972, that's uh, another publication, wrote about this. Other, other, Jamal, other... J Street, J Street actually protested what the Jewish Community Federation was doing. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't only people who are really on the left or on the left in Israel. It was people who have conscious. What, exactly. So what I'm saying, when these revelations came in 2018 and continued through 2019, we did not hear a peep from them basically denying these allegations. 
They did it. They remained pretty much silent because at, at the end of the day, you, uh, you know, uh, you cannot deny what you see in the tax returns and where the funding sources and where it's going to, which I, I believe, by the way, this is a violation because it's a really a crime taking people's money if, uh, and, and giving them a uh, tax exemptions to tell them that you are doing something good with that money and then you're using it to promote uh, Islamophobia and, and racism, and white racism. supremacy, sexism. So, so that's, something, that's something for the Treasury Department, the IRS, to investigate because this is really a major thing. But at the same time, what I'm saying here, they are relentless. They, still, they are still operating the same way they have been operating. Right. Even though, for example, to give you, you know, the, the, the Diller Foundation now cut its ties. It's no longer uh, supporting, for example, Canary Mission. Yet they continue to do this from uh, from uh, from out of Israel. By the way, Canary Mission has right. a right. has an and office the, and somewhere. And settler group as well. Settler and, groups. Young right wing settler groups. Yeah. Yes. So what I'm seeing here, there is a connection. The connection is uh, they don't care about to, to to learn anything about the truth. The connection is, for some reason, an attack on you is an attack on Palestine. It's exactly. really a, it's really a continuation of this whole campaign. To, uh, of colonization, moving uh, now 900,000 Israeli colonial settlers into Palestine, the annexation of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, which is scheduled to happen in July. Who is actually facing trial on corruption charges, yes. of being so, a thief, basically. Yeah. So for whatever reason, you have become the face of the struggle of Palestine on college campuses. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think, uh, well, I am I'm definitely part of the face and so on. I was, I wasn't, I did not vote to be that way, but they seem to have chosen me. And I think it's really about bullying, Jamal. I mean, Israel and its supporters have spent millions and billions of dollars and have spent, in coordination with the Israeli Ministry of Strategic Affairs, the minister is going to become the Israeli ambassador to the UN and the United States, by the way just for people to make the connection. They get unlimited uh, U.S. Uh, support funding and so on. At the same time, they and they have their man in the White House, they are unable to silence the truth. They are unable to make people after 72 years of Nakba and over 100 years of colonialism, they are unable to erase Palestine. They are unable to say Palestine doesn't exist, which the lawfare executive director, Brooke Goldstein, said. And so they try to be, to, to actually strong arm us. They try to intimidate us. They try to scare us. They are trying, they tried everything, everything you can talk about, whether it is uh, accusations of misuse of funds, whether it is uh, the posters that are wanted style posters, whether it's McCarthy, they've tried to do all of this stuff and they failed. But we know that bullies continue bullying. Bullies do not go away. Bullies are actually going to try to continue to break the, the, the spirit and to break the head and to break the people who are standing up and saying, I'm going to speak for myself. They are unable to say, they are unable to actually say that we what we are arguing about, justice in for Palestine, part of the indivisibility of, of justice. They are unable to argue to stop the, the thousands of Jews who are actually supporting us, our sisters and brothers who are working with us. They are unable to actually stop People from various communities, whether indigenous, African-American, Latinx, Asian, working people who are saying this is about justice. This is about environmental justice. This is about justice in Palestine. And I think it's really, really important, which is, I think, really bother, bothering them with this award, is that the legitimate use of public funds for public education, for justice-centered knowledge production. And I think this is one of the things that is really, really bothering the Zionists, and this is why they are a launching their own campaigns, as you've seen. I mean, it's kind of they keep doing it. They just don't get the message that they just need to pack their and stop. And uh, they are trying to pressure university administrations. So university administration. This is why the noise. The noise is to actually intimidate university administrations from actually supporting programs like Ahmed, from allowing us to be able to have our faculty lines, for us to build the program which San Francisco State recruited me to, to build and so on. They are trying to intimidate everybody. And the thing, the very interesting thing is that they are claiming that they want to really fight anti-Semitism. But we have not heard a word from Zionist groups 
when we actually had uh, uh, threats of anti-Semitism on campus through a Nazi student who were in my Palestine class. It was myself, my students, our faculty, our colleagues, uh, the, the Jewish Voice for Peace, Palestinian students, new group on campus called Jews Against Zionism, women and gender studies. We came together and we actually criticized that, but they didn't do any of it. They didn't, they didn't say an, a single word. Meanwhile, they are constantly day in and day out fighting and trying to actually uh, bully and scare and intimidate people who are speaking up for justice for all, including justice in for Palestine, and teaching about it and researching about it and legitimizing it as an academic pursuit. Well, it seems so far they have been losing. My biggest concern, and uh, we have a few minutes to comment on this, is now their attempts to change, is, is, and that's the scary part, because everyone has the freedom of speech, supposedly in this country. They can say whatever they want to say, but now they are going, trying to weaponize, uh, you know, uh, the, basically the laws of, of states and counties by censoring uh, the freedom of speech. Well, criminalizing, criminalizing. And, and exactly, yeah, and criminalizing it. And we've yes. seen examples like what they've done in Texas, putting it in fine prints uh, for someone who's trying to get a, a, a you know, a loan or something like this. They have to swear a re- allegiance. Uh, that they after, want after be- by the way, after, after the natural disaster. That's right. So now, yeah. I mean, what people should do about this because I think, if, yeah, you know, I think if it's, something I think like it's this very passes, dangerous, Jamal. I yeah. think it's very dangerous because it is the same thing. And I think sometimes people lose sight of it. This is extortion big time. What they are trying to do is they're trying to use the purse to either buy off or to pressure people. And what they are trying to do, for example, like this whole Department of Education or the Trump so-called executive order and so on, is to threaten universities because they have failed to silence us. They have failed to uh, prevent us from connecting with other scholars, from teaching students, from producing uh, justice-centered knowledge. So what they are trying to do now is they are coming even stronger with more intimidation, with more pressure, with more extortion, saying to the universities, if you are going to allow these scholars to continue even speaking up their mind, your purse is going to be affected. You're not going to be getting federal grants. You're not going to be getting state grants and so on. But listen, I am very hopeful. McCarthyism was defeated. Was defeated because a lot of people stood and said, no, we are not going to tell on our, our friends. We are not going to participate in this witch hunt. We are not going to participate in these ridiculous but very dangerous uh, attempts to intimidate us and scare us. And they won. And so, and then we had, that's in the 50s. In the 60s, we had all these movements, including the San Francisco State Strike. And now we are actually organizing, and now they're trying to also stop the ethnic studies curriculum in California public schools as well, because they don't want people to learn the truth. They don't want people to learn about our narratives, our about histories, about the lived experience of all our communities. They would like to erase it completely. And this is what Amcha, by the way, said, Tammy Rothman Benjamin yesterday, I think, she said that, oh, there is no place for this in the academy. Basically, this is no space for this. So we will win too. We will win too. It's going to be take a lot of sacrifices. But I think that, uh, on a word like this, I think the fact that we keep coming together, I think the fact that we keep educating each other, learning with each other, teaching, I think this is for us. It's a battle that we will win. Hopefully, we will be able to broaden the support more, and the support is getting broadened more. And that's also what why it's bothering these pro-Israel lab uh, bullies who are trying to basically, you know, cover the sun, cover the truth. And that's not going to work. I mean, they can try, well, but it's not going to work. Well, on this hopeful note, uh, and I like McCarthyism was defeated. And uh, I want to thank you again and uh, congratulate you again for this uh, winning this uh, uh, great uh, award and you well deserved i have to say i mean i can't think of a better person to have gotten it this year and i'm sure those who have voted share the same thoughts that i've had and we'll have you soon on arab talk thank you so much jamal and thank you for continuing to speak truth to power and for hosting me thank you well, that's the voice of uh, Professor Rabab Abdelhadi, Professor of Ethnic Studies at San Francisco State University, 
and the director of the Ahmed program at San Francisco State. Jamal, what an extraordinary interview. Really a great interview. So here's here's an internationally recognized academic who's just received one of the most prestigious awards in the academic uh, community in the academy here in the United States, who still is viciously, horrifically, racially attacked on a regular basis and not getting and not even getting support from her own university in my mind this continues to be a travesty on the one hand you have this international scholar being recognized for this award and on the other hand she continues to be an unprotected if you will within her own university i don't get it yeah well at, at least uh, this is some Good news that she received the award. We're very proud of her. We've had her on the show many times, and uh, it, it's great. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to kind of forget about all the hate mongers out there and just focus on this, this happy news. But in a sad turn of events, Jess, and I'm like, you and I are sick and tired of talking about this topic. I know. Each time, George Floyd, 46-year-old, Black man was killed on Monday after a white Minneapolis police officer pinned him down to the ground, put his knee on his neck for about eight minutes. And and this was all captured on video. You can right. hear him begging, please, please, I can't breathe. He said it and 12 you, times, yeah. And then, and then you have... Uh, passers-by and eyewitnesses pleading with the police, you know, to stop, to let him stand. And and they're prevented by another police officer. I should just say uh, they, uh, the four police officers who were involved in Floyd's detain- detainment, uh, Minneapolis police identified the officers are uh, Thomas... Uh, Thomas Lane, Tutau, and J. Alexander Kong, and the person who basically killed him is right. Derek Chauvin. So right. four of them, they got fired. Yeah, but this so is what? not. I mean, you kill somebody, you get fired. No, they murdered but, him in play daylight. No, but that's again. Only, that's only if you're black, Jamal. If 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 you're a black American or a black person in this country, and you're murdered, your murderers will essentially either go free or be fired. Let, let's call this what it is, Jamal. This was nothing less than state-sponsored terrorism, state-sponsored extrajudicial killing of an African-American man yet again. And it's interesting, the police officers said in their report that he was resisting arrest. Yet, when you look at the body cam video, I saw some of the body cam video today, he was not resisting arrest. And there was also another video from a, uh, I guess, a restaurant or a store also that showed that he just basically was obeying order. They took him. He, they put him against the wall. He sat down. They told him to sit down. He sat down, get up. He got up. They tried to take him to the car. And then all of a sudden, this, uh, this uh, officer, Derek Chauvin, just like pins him down to the ground and puts all his weight on, on, on his neck. I mean, we haven't gotten done talking about Ahmad, right? The That's murder right. of Ahmad, which is, yeah, it's an ex-police officer's son who was involved and, and an ex-police officer was involved in the whole chase. We haven't finished talking about it. No. We haven't finished talking about it. I mean, and this comes right there. And now we have another incident coming with another man. I mean, I can, my mind can't go back, obviously, uh, probably all the way back to the beating of Rodney King. Uh, just I think this is this was pretty much the first time the American public saw this um, police brutality. Uh, this is the beginning of people filming things. Obviously, this went much longer, but this is when things started to get captured on you know video on film cam. because right. on video cams because people carry because of the cell phones and so forth. And so since that time, you have many, many, many others, and, and there are no lessons to be learned. Well, I think the lesson to be learned, Jamal, there is a lesson. And the lesson is that 
And I think it's being perpetrated in part, not in its entirety, but in part by the current administration who promotes racial division, who continues to promote kind of a racialized idea of politics, who still continues to call white supremacists, you know, fine, good, decent people. And a lack of this administration, especially with uh, the Justice Department under William Barr, failing to take these things very seriously. How can this continue to happen? How can we not continue to call this extrajudicial killings of African-American men? And there was another incident. I mean, it, it pales in comparison, Jamal, but it kind of tells you where we're at culturally in terms of going back. You probably saw this. It was uh, in the New York Times, an African-American man was in Central Park just bird watching. And... Uh, the white woman was uh, uh, walking in the park at the same time with her dog off leash. Now, you've had dogs in Central Park. You know that dogs cannot be off leash in Central Park. The dog was being aggressive. This man, Mr. Cooper, said to this woman, this white woman, can you please leash your dog? She got indignant. She said, I'm going to call oh. the police. I'm going to tell them that, an, that a black man is threatening me. He videotaped the whole thing. Long story short, the video goes viral. She gets fired. The dog gets taken away. But isn't this just another example of the racialized, you know, uh, context that we're living in where a white woman can use the police department as her personal protection, as if she can call this police department, call 911 and say, hey, this black man is telling me what to do. It's out of control. We keep talking yeah, about it, Jamal. Just by hands getting hurting me listening <laughs> about these stories. And I want to add another story. You probably also watched this. There is another one. This is the crazy thing because now people are posting more stories. Right. And this is, I think, in Minneapolis in a, in a building where it right. had a gym, a gym. And then these African-American men who basically have an office in that building. So right. they, so they right. were uh, exercising. And then this guy, you know, uh, uh, walks in and then he uh, says, uh, you don't belong here. Exactly. You know, uh, where do you live? Uh, and they say, we, we, we have a business, you know, we have an office here. And he asked them to prove it and whatever. And I'm going to call the police. I'm going to call 911 on you and, and what have you. And then since then, of course, once once they get caught on camera, and they get humiliated. He said, I'm not a racist. I'm sorry. I just, you know, it's like it happens time and time again. We've had stories right here in San Francisco, if That's you right. remember. That's right. You know, in, in Soma, where uh, a woman uh, basically went after African-American young uh, girls, basically, For calling the water. police on. Right. Yeah. Selling, the, uh, selling water selling in water. front of the building. She dialed 911. I mean, when... Will this end? That's the question. Well, I, I don't think it's going to end, Jamal. We live, we live in a deeply racist society, full stop. African-American men and women, people of color, uh, Islamophobia, anti-Asian hate, xenophobia is part and pop parcel of our country right now. The only thing that we could change is we could create a government with that's in power that will use the weight of the government to say that this is unacceptable. Right now, we have a government and a justice department that refuses to take these things seriously, refuses to prosecute them in the aggressive way that they need to be uh, prosecuted, and basically gives license for white people to attack people of color, especially African-American men. This situation is getting worse, Jamal. It's not getting better. We're going backwards. We're not making progress. And we can't separate it from the current political context that we're in right now. I mean, basically, don't you think that whether it's this woman in Central Park or it's this police officer in Minneapolis, they believe that they can get away with these things? That's, 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 that's apparently the case. They think they can get away with this. And thank God for technology and thank God for people filming these things and standing by. Uh, it, it really pained me. And we're going to uh, oh, watch one other a little quick thing. segment. Okay, but one Just quick quickly, thing. I, I, one, after one quick we thing. watch this segment. 
just, just off the video. Okay, let's see the video. Then I wanted to check something with you. Let's look at the video first. Just uh, my stomach hurts. My neck hurts. Everything hurts. Uh, some water or something. Please. Please. Uh, I can't breathe. Bro, with your feet on his neck, man, you get out the way. His nose is bleeding, like, come on. That's raw right there with his feet on his neck. Look at his nose. You see your knee on his neck. Yeah, he got your feet right on his neck, bro. I cannot breathe. You just a grown. You're a tough guy. You're a tough guy. I say you're a tough guy. He's not even resisting the rest, bro. His whole nose is gone. Fought with him? Bro, why you just sitting there? He ain't doing nothing now. Put him in the car. How long I gotta hold him down? Why don't you do drugs, kids? It ain't about drugs, bro. I, I don't want to say I'm speechless, Jamal, but it's so painful. To see that, to listen to that, to have to, we have to watch it. We can't turn away from this grotesque, grotesque violence that's being committed against African-American well, men. We, we showed uh, only a little segment of it, Jess, uh, when uh, uh, George Floyd was pleading for his life. And uh, it's too similarly painful. with the, you know, with the eyewitnesses who were also pleading with the police we didn't show the whole thing because I watched you and I watched the whole thing and we it's watched him basically breathe his last breath and die until the ambulance come came basically the paramedics came basically just to pick up a dead person. They didn't right. come to treat him right. or anything else. By that time they arrived, he was dead. So we we have to watch this. We have to bear witness to these atrocities that are being committed against African-American men and women and people of color. It, it is among the most painful thing to have to watch this time and time again and to hear a man beg for his life uh, in the mod- in, in, during this time in the United States that we live in a society where these kinds of extrajudicial murders can take place. And all that happens, Jamal, is that they get fired from their job. Big deal. I will say something. This, I mean, I think you saw this. You saw because some African American athletes have, you know, been speaking out against this. And I think one of the more poignant things is Le- LeBron James' tweet, where he tweeted a, a a picture of the police officer's knee on Mr. Floyd, and right next to it was a picture of Colin Kaepernick kneeling, and it says. And he came under attack. And he came under attack. That's my point. He said, this is why Colin Kaepernick need, took a knee. This is why he did it. And he was viciously attacked. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. And again, we welcome our viewers on, on Facebook. Now, there is something just very troubling. I don't know if you saw all the postings by uh, Palestinians uh, from yes. Palestine and, and from the United States, Palestinian Americans of pictures of Israeli soldiers doing the same thing, right. uh, putting their knee on top of Palestinian kids. All and you could time. see that you could see that plastered all over the Internet. There is, we have to say, a deadly exchange program or programs between the United States enforcement agencies and Israeli security forces. Right. Dozens of U.S. states, as well as the FBI and the CIA, now send recruits and senior officials to be schooled in Israel's paramilitary approach to law enforcement by the likes of internal security agency, the Shin Bet, and the Israeli Ministry of Defense. I mean, we know, we've talked about this before, U.S. law enforcement's exchange programs with Israel are now standard and sometimes take place uh, led by Israeli personnel in America. So... No surprise. This kind of procedure now, this is what I want for the experts to kind of investigate that is it, I mean... You are in the medical field. Is it permissible to put one's knee against someone's neck 
and put the entire weight, and this officer could could have, I don't know what's his weight, 200 pounds or so, and keep your entire weight on the knee, is that permissible? No, to... Joel, it's, it's not permissible. It's not legal, even by most police standards. It's similar to the prohibition against chokeholds. This is this is it has the same effect as a chokehold. When you put your knee on somebody's neck the way they did to Mr. Floyd, the only thing that will happen is it'll collapse your airway and you'll be unable to breathe. He said he couldn't breathe for the obvious reason is that he was choking to death because of the weight of this police officer's knee on his neck. So we would call this, Jamal, cruel, uh, dehumanizing behavior. It's really a kind of torture that the state, because the police officers are agents of the state, are using against innocent, until proven guilty, of of course, unless you're black, uh, individuals to the point of choking them and, and killing them. This is a grotesque uh, example. Is, you know, I don't know about you, but I like to watch uh, UFC and MMA, and I know when the fighters, uh, right. you know, are tap. held in a, in a, yeah, they tap, and if they don't, the referee comes quickly, you know, and pushes the other fighter. Right. I mean, in, in seconds, it, it, not eight minutes, not one minute, not two minutes, not three minutes, in seconds. And what actually bothered me is the actually not just the action of the officer uh, who was identified as Derek Chauvin who murdered him, is the other officers and the one who was like had his back turned and didn't do anything about it. He's, ju- he's just as as much as an accessory to that murder I uh, just can't imagine any Absolutely. any 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 other way but to just like you said just to you know slap them on the wrist and fire them it's crazy they should be arrested they should be and i have to say another thing is people have been uh, very upset they it started with uh, demonstrations and civil disobedience and now people are rioting and and in, you watch the media, and there's a major attack because, well, you know, some people have been looting stores, and I, I, I don't think that this is right because they take away, even though I understand their anger and their frustration, but they take away from the case itself. Yeah, I don't know if I, I, I ex- actually am more mixed about that. I totally get the looting. And I think what it is, is sending a very powerful message that, you know, we don't, you know, how is it that we don't live in a society where the rule of law is honored and respected? And so you're going to disrespect our, our, our community. There's no rule of law here. Police officers are allowed to do these kinds of acts, commit these kinds of acts of aggression and murder with impunity. I guess there's no rule of law anywhere. I think it's yeah, yeah. But there are there are vict- there are innocent victims, you know, to basically destroy businesses, uh, windows, sure. and loot sure. them. They they are they're just basically victims. And uh, I understand like the frustration. I understand the anger. But I, uh, you know, I I think we should focus on this murder, and we should focus on what happened to Ahmad also. And, 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 you know, express the frustration and the anger peacefully. Uh, it will result, it will have a better we should, result. But we should say, Jamal, the overwhelming majority of people who were protesting did protest mm. peacefully. Absolutely. That's Just the a few, overwhelm- usually. The overwhelming majority. And, and that's why I don't, I don't want the few to hijack, basically, the message. And well, hijack. We keep coming you know, back to the same message. When, when are people going to, when are people going to change this kind of behavior? When will people be held accountable? You know, uh, one quick point. You know, the mayor, at least of Minneapolis, did come out and say that he felt that these officers should be charged. The police department is doing an investigation. I, I will see this as truly a truly criminal act, in the highest degree, state-sponsored. If charges of murder are not brought against these police officers, I don't care if they're fired or not. Murder charges need to be brought. 
this is you know this is not uh, voluntary involuntary manslaughter. I mean, this is premeditated. You know that if you put your knee on the back of a neck of a human being with that kind of force and weight, eventually there's only one outcome, Jamal, and that's the death of that person. That seems premeditated to me. Well, uh, we are really uh, very depressed uh, talking about this topic time and time again. And I'd like to dedicate the show to the memory of uh, George Floyd, just like we dedicated the other show yes. to the memory uh, of Ahmad. And, um, and we will follow this. And, and we, we will, will continue. This. And we'll continue to follow this story, Jamal, which you alluded to, which is equally important. This tactic, this technique that uh, police officers are using in the United States, it's an Israeli military tactic and technique. I think this should be investigated. This should be investigated, just like if you, there, is a, there is a way to train people. Uh, there is a difference between putting your knee on somebody's shoulder or, or back to hold them to the ground and putting it on, on the neck. And we see this time and time again. We have hundreds of uh, uh, pictures and videos of Palestinian kids being held that way. And of course, when they die, you don't hear about them. Um, and, and what Israel is doing is normalizing this uh, behavior and exporting it into the United States and, and probably other uh, countries in Europe. Well, on that note, Jamal, I think we've come to another, another end of Arab Talk. We want to thank our listeners and our viewers all over the world for joining us from another quarantined Arab Talk uh, show here on KPOO in San Francisco. And if you want to catch our shows, go to our website, arabtalkradio.com. All of our shows are podcasted. You can watch us live on Jamal's Facebook page, which is Jamal Dejani 2. And thank you for listening. Thank you.